You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Here is the exciting part for you and me. This special, powerful, permanent relationship that Jesus Christ had as a human to the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised that he would give that same relationship to his disciples. The gift of the Holy Spirit to those disciples we just read about in Acts 2 came in fulfillment of Jesus' promise. The promise was in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. We forever have access to the same powerful Holy Spirit that Jesus himself had. What an incredible truth. In today's message from Pastor Tom, you will hear that this was not always the case for people. You'll learn about the Holy Spirit's existence prior to the day of Pentecost and about how he was not available to all people and could be removed from those who had received it. Thankfully, that's not true today. Jesus made it possible for all believers to access the Spirit forever. How amazing is that? Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 with today's edition of Discover Hope church rightly understood as a totally unique community inside this world. It's spirit-led, it's spirit-driven, it's spirit-formed, it's spirit-empowered. The spirit is our Gatorade. He is our gas. He is our generator. He is everything. He's the administrator of the church. Everything starts rolling with the descent of the spirit of the living God. And so this is one of the most important and anticipated chapters in all of the Bible. What amazing things were accomplished on the day of Pentecost. It's no wonder there's a whole group of Christians out there that want to be called Pentecostals. What a great thing to be called. I'm not endorsing everything they say. But being identified with this event is a great thing. Pentecost marks the beginning of a new work of God. A work never done by God before in his dealings with man. I think what happened on Pentecost is so startling and so pivotal, it can only be fully comprehended if we widen the screen out a little bit and we take a step backwards and we go back into the Old Testament and we look at what happened then, what happened in the life of Christ, then what happened on the day of Pentecost, and then even going forward, what happened after Pentecost. I want to cover three time periods with you, and I know I won't get to all of them, but I want to do this, all right? We're going to do pre-Pentecost, at Pentecost, and post-Pentecost. And by the way, if you want to know what kind of a believer you are, here's a new name for you. You are a post-Pentecost believer. Abraham was a pre-Pentecost believer, okay? And then there were these guys at Pentecost. They quickly became post-Pentecost, okay? But we have pre, at, and post. So stay with me because this is going to take some time to develop, but I hope it'll be exciting for you. First, pre-Pentecost. What happened with the ministry of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost? Have you ever wondered? It would be wrong to say the Holy Spirit did nothing until the day of Pentecost. And that is because the Holy Spirit is God himself. And obviously, God was doing things before Pentecost. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13 asks this penetrating question. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? (laughs) Is anybody teaching the Spirit of God? No. See, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is not a what. The Holy Spirit is a who. Sometimes we get confused because the Spirit is likened to wind or the Spirit is likened to fire or the Spirit is likened to power. And we say, that sounds like an it. It sort of does sound like an it. Yes, but then he's called a he. And you see that he is a he. He is a person, not an it. In Matthew 28, in the Trinitarian formula uh, used at baptism, it says... 
There is one name. Baptize them in one name. It doesn't say names. It says the one name of the Father, the Son, and what? The Holy Spirit, right? That indicates the Spirit is a member of the eternal Godhead. He's just as much a person as the Father and the Son are. He's just as divine as the Father and the Son are. One name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That shows equality in one. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 brings the same thing out. Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three people, one Trinitarian blessing. Peter mentions in Acts 5, chapter 4, that if you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to who? To God. Why? Because when you lie to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, it tells the church, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You're a temple of God because God dwells in you. What do you mean God dwells in you? The Spirit of God dwells in you. So if the Spirit of God is in you and you are a temple of God, that means the Spirit of God is God. Did you know that? Where the Spirit of God dwells, God dwells. Jesus referred to the Spirit as a he in John chapter 14 and verse 16 and 17. He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's a teacher. He's not an it. He is not some good luck energy field surrounding you. Jesus did not send the force to be with us. No one should want to be one with a force. Cut that out. There is no great thing about being one with a force. That's a big, giant step down. You are one with the Holy Spirit. He's a he, not an it. You don't command him, he commands you. That's why the world likes the idea of a force, by the way. They control it. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's to control you. God gave us something better than what the vain imaginations of man have concocted and put on the movie screen. We have the comforter. We have the paraclete, the helper, the one called alongside us. One Christ said who's similar to him. The Spirit of Christ. He's so similar, he's called not just the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8, 9. That is how Christ dwells inside of me. That's how he dwells inside of you. He promised that he would be with us to the end of the age. How can that be if he's not even here? He is here. His Spirit is inside of us, just as he promised us. So he is God. And since he is God, we would expect to see the Holy Spirit operating in both Testaments and throughout human history, and we do. Now, before Pentecost, there's several things the Holy Spirit did. I want to quickly give you three of them, okay? Three of the things the Holy Spirit did before Pentecost. First, the Spirit was intimately involved and active in the creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it declares, and you know this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then it says this, and many times people miss this, and the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Here in the Hebrew, the term for moving, rakaf, describes the Spirit's action over the water. And it means vibrating. It means fluttering. It means hovering over the waters, much like a bird hovering over her eggs and providing vital warmth. In Deuteronomy 32 and 11, it refers to the same verb and an eagle that's stirring up its nest that hovers over its young with wings that are spread out. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says the world was without any form, and so the Holy Spirit's role was to fashion and design it. He was the one most directly and intimately involved in the creation of the world. You see the energy of the Spirit of God in this miraculous forming of the world rapidly in six days. 
He was energizing. He was vibrating new life into the world, forming it with his infinite wisdom. Another prominent activity of God's spirit in Old Testament days was to empower select people for certain jobs, to perform certain, certain divinely ordained tasks. This empowerment is often described as the Holy Spirit coming down upon a person. You may read about that in the Old Testament. Or rushing upon a person, like rushing on them and captivating them and and leading them to go do something. Or filling them with power to accomplish the divine will in some way. Examples abound in the Old Testament. In in Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 3, in conjunction with the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness, which required exact measurements, perfect craftsmanship, and all of that, we read these words. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and all kinds of craftsmanship. Made this guy a great craftsman. In the book of Judges, chapter 3 and verse 10, we read of the experience of Othniel, Caleb's nephew, which says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, and he judged Israel. That means he was a mighty military commander. Samson maybe is the foremost example of someone that was captivated by the power of God and empowered in a unique way. In Judges chapter 14 and verse 6, the scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson mightily so that he tore the lion as one tears a, a kid, though he had nothing in his hands, just ripped the lion in half. I'd like to see some of the, the bodybuilders do that today. A sudden rush of God's power into his body and just made him superhuman. Before the Avengers were ever created, there it is. Even David's ability at warfare and the ruling of the Israelites is attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit in 1 Samuel 16 and 13. From these examples and quite a few others in the Old Testament, we see that there was an exciting work of the Spirit of God enabling certain chosen people to perform certain tasks. Tasks like leadership, ruling, administration, artistic ability, military skill, physical, muscular power, judicial discernment, even running fast in Elijah's case. Now, a third work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was this, revealing truth to the prophets, revealing truth to the prophets. Again, the Old Testament language is rich and it's vivid. In Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5, Ezekiel recounts an experience he had with the Holy Spirit and he describes it this way, then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and he said to me, Spirit falls on Ezekiel, suddenly he's overwhelmed and he hears an actual voice of God speaking to him. Micah, the prophet, also sensed power overcome him in Micah chapter 3 and verse 8. In comparison with the false prophets, he writes of himself, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. And he went on to prophesy boldly against the sins of Israel. About the Old Testament prophets, Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.21, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, here it is, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So clearly you can see the Spirit of God was not inactive in the lives of Old Testament believers. He was moving and empowering and energizing. However, I do need to say that the Spirit's work was limited in the Old Testament. There were at least three limitations to the Holy Spirit's activity with believers in the work of the Old Testament. I want to briefly mention these to you because as you hear about this, and then that will get you excited by the fact that you're not a... Pre-Pentecost believer, you are a 
post-Pentecost believer. And I hope this gets you excited. First of all, the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament was limited in duration. Limited in duration. In other words, the empowering work of the Spirit on people like Samson, Gideon, was not permanent. The Spirit could and did depart from Old Testament believers. Even after rushing upon them mightily, he could still depart. In the case of King Saul, the first king of Israel, it says in 1 Samuel 16, 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit, actually sent by God in judgment, terrorized him. Saul's anointing of the Holy Spirit to govern his kingship was removed because he was disobedient to the word of God. David, the next king, was fully aware of what had happened to his predecessor. He personally witnessed Saul being tormented by this evil spirit. He even played his, you know, his music for Saul to soothe him during that time. So he, he had a front row seat for all of that. Later, when he was king and he sensed the power of the Holy Spirit moving him to write psalms and do all the things that he did and win in battle, he realized after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he'd done a terrible sin, he was afraid that God would remove his Holy Spirit from him also. And so he penned Psalm 51 and asked, verse 11, do not cast me away from thy presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's not a prayer. We have to pray because we're post-Pentecost believers. He had to pray that. He petitioned that God would allow him to keep the anointing of the Spirit so he could rule well as a king. Don't confuse this Old Testament work of the Spirit with the New Testament work of permanent indwelling. David had no permanent indwelling of the Spirit. A second limiting feature to this Old Testament work was that it was not provided for all believers. Not provided for all believers. Only some believers got the anointing, got the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is made very clear, I think, in the book of Numbers under the ministry of Moses out in the wilderness. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses has kind of reached his limit in ministry. He has had enough of all the demands of leadership that have been placed on him. He's tired of dealing with the Israelites' complaints his own unrelenting responsibilities. Frankly, Moses is unhappy with the Lord for the situation that he's in. And in disgust in Numbers 11.10, he asks God, was it I who conceived all these people? I mean, he is fed up with God. I mean, these are your people, not mine. You do something with them. I'm ready to retire. In Numbers 11.16 comes the answer. The Lord therefore said to Moses, gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their offices, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Numbers 11.17, then I will come down and I will speak with you there and I will take of the spirit which is upon you and I will put him upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you shall not bear it alone. Later, when Joshua was jealous for Moses' glory, Moses responded to Joshua in a truly insightful way. He said in Numbers 11, 29, Are you jealous for my sake, Joshua? I would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. Moses was the first Pentecostal. He wanted everybody to have the Holy Spirit. He said, that's a great idea. Not 70 men, 7,000 men, 700,000 men would be great to Moses. Get it right, Joshua. It'd be far better for everybody to have the Spirit of God. Because they didn't have it. Third limitation in Old Testament times was that the Spirit was not given, listen, was not given in full strength. 
The Old Testament prophets anticipated a greater age, an age when Messiah would come and Messiah would give the Spirit without measure, in fullness. In Ezekiel chapter 36, just as an example, in verses 26 and 27, Ezekiel prophesies, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You're going to get the spirit in a greater way inside of you, and when that comes, that's going to be the fullness of the presence of the spirit. The Old Testament's prophets predicted that time, but they also knew it was accompanied with the time of the Messiah, the life of Jesus. Unlike any prophet or any leader of any kind before Jesus, Jesus's life was enveloped by and empowered by the Spirit of God. He is in a completely different category in his relationship to and use of the Holy Spirit of God. From his, think about it, miraculous conception in the womb of Mary. Who caused that conception to happen? The Holy Spirit, remember? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary, and that's how you're going to get pregnant. What does that mean? She didn't know. She just believed. The Holy Spirit came and descended on Jesus right at his baptism. Remember, in the form of a what? A dove saying, this is my beloved son. And he was endowed with power like nobody else. In his preaching and his healing ministry, he said he did it by the Spirit of God. Christ's ministry was driven by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit even drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan to show that God's champion could beat any of the tricks of the devil. He had a fullness of power never seen in Old Testament prophets or persons. Moses didn't have this fullness of the Spirit, nor did Elijah, nor Elisha. In fact, Jesus would apply the words of Isaiah the prophet to himself concerning his ministry in Luke 4.18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and all that he does. In Matthew 12.28, Christ said, he casts out demons by the spirit of God. Now, Here is the exciting part for you and me. This special, powerful, permanent relationship that Jesus Christ had as a human to the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised that he would give that same relationship to his disciples. The gift of the Holy Spirit to those disciples we just read about in Acts 2 came in fulfillment of Jesus' promise. The promise was in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. That is, you know the spirit of God because he abides with you. The spirit was there with them and he will be in you. He's with you now, but when he comes, he will be inside of you as well. And those prepositions matter to understand the difference between those two dispensations. What a precious and a magnificent promise that the Spirit would be given without measure, permanently come and abide inside of them. Even though the disciples had already had a taste of the ministry of the Holy Spirit prior to Pentecost, we read about such places as in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. It says Jesus gave the disciples authority to cast out demons. He gave the disciples authority to do miracles and to preach just like Jesus had been doing. But that little tiny empowerment, though, to impress the disciples greatly was was just a temporary and a measured empowerment of the Spirit pre-Pentecost. 
Please remember that when you read about the events in the four Gospels, though it's written in the New Testament, it's before what happens on Pentecost. So it's really under the banner of the Old Covenant. They were living technically under the Old Covenant. So was Christ. He was born under the law. He fulfilled all things under the law. So what they got there from Christ, that little measured thing, was not the fullness of the Spirit, and it was not permanent. But Christ promised something greater to his disciples, a whole new age, an age of greater activity of God's Spirit, not a limited role, fullness of God's Spirit. When John the Baptist was trying to describe what the Messiah would bring to Israel, he testified that that he was only able to baptize with water, but someone was coming greater than him, and he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Later, John the Baptist said in John three thirty four of Jesus, he said, Jesus is the one, listen, who gives the Spirit without measure. He doesn't measure it and say, okay, you can have that much. He said, I'm going to pour it all out on you, nothing held back. There was to be a baptism with the Spirit, a clothing of power from on high, a tidal wave of the presence of Almighty God among believers, a precious permanent indwelling of God in man, a continual fullness of the Holy Spirit unseen in any other age. Every single believer in Christ having the fullness of God's Spirit, no exceptions. And that, beloved, brings us to Acts 2 and verse 1 which we really didn't start at all. Obviously, if there wasn't some major change in the Holy Spirit's work at Pentecost, then Jesus' promise to send the Spirit kind of seems like an anticlimactic thing. The Scriptures tell us so many wonderful, significant things started On the day of Pentecost, there was the sound of the rushing wind. We'll talk about that next time. The flames of fire speaking in foreign languages. Yes, we'll talk about that. The fullness of the Spirit, it says they were all filled. And we can correlate other verses and see this is when the church was born. This is when the whole new age that was promised dawned. Beloved, I would like you to be thinking about your relationship to the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks. If you'd like to, take your New Testament and start reading in the epistles and just find out how often the Holy Spirit is there. Maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe you haven't read that. Maybe you were not aware that you're to cultivate your relationship with your spirit and that so much of what we are to experience in terms of our sanctification and our Christ-likeness and our joy and our energy comes from the Holy Spirit. You must be close to him. And yes, it's very easy to grieve him. It's very easy to quench the power of the spirit. And maybe you're doing that. And maybe you need to take a look at yourself. And maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness. And maybe this will be a start of a more powerful relationship with him. Don't let the idea of a church program, and we'll talk about this. Somebody's not discipling me the way I want to be discipled. You have the spirit of God. The preacher didn't preach on the thing that I wanted him to preach on. You have the spirit of God. We could just go through all the things we wish church would be better this way, and the believers around us would teach us better, and the courses would have this in it, and this book was written differently, and I could, I could just get more time to do this. You have the spirit of the living God. Do you know what that means? It means you and I have no excuses. Father, thank you for the spirit of God, the precious, permanent indwelling of your spirit in your bride, Forgive us where we've grieved your spirit. Teach us to walk by your spirit. Thank you for the intercessory ministry of your spirit. 
Thank you for the forgiveness that we have that we can always come back and be filled once again. Thank you that you protect us by the Spirit. Thank you that you teach us through the Spirit's writing of Scripture and is teaching us inwardly what it means. Thank you that you make us one in this church, in Christ, because of the Holy Spirit. Help us to learn more. Pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. Have you fully taken advantage of the incredible gifting of the Holy Spirit you have received? Many Christians overlook the power and importance of the Holy Spirit. You learned in today's message from Pastor Tom that people have not always had the same access to the Spirit that we have today. Before Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected, the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people and it could be removed from them. Not true today. What amazing news for us. You are indwelled with the Spirit of the living God. Discover Hope is a listener-supported ministry, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to be a part of sharing the gospel message. Would you join us in praying for our listeners? Pray that the love and grace of Jesus will be evident in each new broadcast, and that many would come to know the hope of salvation. Thanks for praying. If you feel led to contribute financially to this ministry as well, you can do so by visiting hopebible.org and clicking the Giving tab at the top of the page. We appreciate every amount given and use it to continue producing the messages of Pastor Tom Leak that you hear on Discover Hope. Be sure to tune in to Discover Hope next time to hear Pastor Tom teach more about Pentecost and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. You'll be encouraged with the truth that you've been equipped with the Spirit and God has given you all you need to utilize His power. You'll hear useful teaching about how to connect with the Spirit. To listen again to today's message in the book of Acts, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word. So join us again right here on Discover Hope.